If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to one-on-one with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Well, last weekend we had the Oscars. This weekend we have the Grammys. I wonder if anyone will get slapped this time. I am rooting Sabrina for peace, love, rock and roll, <laughs> R&B, theater, spoken word, all that stuff. Let us hope we're talking about the awesomeness of the performers and the music that was awarded come Monday morning. We shall pray. Let it be about the music and some local nominees and performers. Jasmine Sullivan was nominated for a few R&B things. She went to good old Philadelphia High School for Creative and Performing Arts, as we've talked about Many successful grads from Kappa. Questlove could be getting a second award for Summer of Soul for Best Music Film. A couple that stood out to me, Sabrina, in the, everyone's favorite category of Best Contemporary Instrumental Album from the great Cheltenham High School, Randy Brecker from the Philly suburbs, and also the Best Large Jazz Ensemble, a couple Philly connections, Christian McBride, amazing bassist, an institution here in Philly, and the the OGs, the Sun Ra Orchestra out of West Philly, they're up for a nomination in that category as well. Also keeping my eyes, obviously, Sabrina, on how the music world's going to react publicly for the first time since the passing of Taylor Hawkins, the drummer from the Foo Fighters who passed away. Foo Fighters, they're up for best rock performance, best rock song, best rock album. So I think there's probably going to be a lot of emotions in the building for the Grammys. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, the in memoriam moment, local guy who I love, Leslie Odom Jr. will be performing in a tribute to Stephen Sondheim. So that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And uh, putting away the awards show news, we've got some bigger news today. Philadelphia's school board has made their decision. The next superintendent of the school district of Philadelphia is, drum roll, Tony Watlington. Yeah, Watlington, he's the superintendent right now for the Rowan Salisbury School District in the central part of North Carolina. He was the third and last candidate to be interviewed a few weeks ago, but clearly he was the first choice of the city. And KYW News Radio education reporter Mike DiNardo all over the coverage of this the last couple months. He was at today's announcement. Hey, Mike, how are you? I feel great, Brian. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for joining us on such a quick turnaround to talk about the big news of the day in Philadelphia. Plain and simple, Mike. First question, why was Tony Watlington the pick? Well, the school board felt that he was the best among not only the three finalists for the job, but the 400 applicants that applied during the six-month national search. The district hired a headhunting firm, a search firm, to to come up with the applicants, and uh, they whittled them down based on feedback that they got, they, the board, got from the community. The community said they wanted someone uh, who was a good communicator, who was transparent, who had an eye toward equity. And if you heard the three finalists in town a couple of weeks ago when they each had a day of of interviews, the prevailing sentiment among education watchers was that Tony Wadlington was was the best of the three. And the school board, the eight members of the board agreed. And so he was introduced today as the next superintendent. What were your impressions of him, Mike? I know you have been uh, deep in this, getting to know all of the candidates, as we've talked about before on this podcast. What stood out to you about him when you were covering these interviews? I would have to say his his sensitivity, his respect for the history of Philadelphia, and 
his awareness that he's not from here. He flat out says, I'm not from Philadelphia, but job one for me is to get to know the city. Uh, He said that his first thing, job one, is to go on a listening tour and to learn. And that's not only by talking to board members and educators and uh, community members, but he also wants to talk to the lawmakers in Harrisburg who uh, control nearly half of the school district's budget. So he says, they don't know me yet, but they will get to know me and they'll know who I am and what I stand for. So if anything really stood out about him, it was his uh, his sensitivity uh, and his uh, awareness of the fact that uh, Philadelphia can be a tough town and he's going to have to get to know the city and the city's going to have to get to know him. And that essentially in some ways, Mike, started today. Can you set the scene for us? What was it like at this morning's announcement? Who were some of the prominent people that were there and what were some of the big takeaways you had in terms of reaction? There was a, a, a pretty big crowd in the auditorium at school headquarters. There were four chairs set up uh, at, at a table. The Mayor took up one chair. Uh, the president of the school board, Joyce Wilkerson, had another chair. Uh, the vice president, uh, Leticia Ehea Hinton, who was the chair of the search committee on the board, uh, took the third seat. And then Tony Wadlington took the fourth seat. Members of city council, in- including uh, Helen Gim and Maria Quinones Sanchez, uh, were uh, among the, the city officials who were there at the announcement. Uh, You hate to say it was a love fest, but it seemed to be a love fest. Everyone there seemed to be supportive of of Wadlington as the choice. And they joked that Superintendent Height, who was sitting in the front row, may have enjoyed the announcement the most because it was a relief for him to know that his uh, successor had finally been picked and that they can start to do the transition now. So Wadlington will start in the fall for the new school year, when does he start kind of getting onboarded and officially become a Philadelphian? Well, what time is it? I mean, he's he's onboarding now. He's He's got a day okay. of meetings uh, since he's in town. He said that he will be in Philadelphia on weekends. Uh, remember, he still has a day job in North Carolina for the time being. He's, he's going to be in Philadelphia on the weekends and some midweeks and a lot virtually to get up to speed. He expects to be up to speed uh, June 16th, uh, the end of the school year and and the start of, of his new tenure. What about the contract, Mike, for Tony Watlington? What does that look like? It is a five-year deal uh, with a one-year option, a renewal option for the school district. He'll be paid $340,000 a year, and there are no incentive clauses. When Superintendent Height first had his contract, there were incentive clauses dealing with achievement levels in his contract. None of them in this one. It's a flat $340,000 a year. And he's also required to live in Philadelphia, something he says he's looking on. He's actively searching for a house. Mike, thanks so much. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. It is Friday, and on Fridays, it is now our custom to chat with Dave Uram about the Philadelphia sports fan or fans of the week. This week, we've got the Fandemic Crew. Based on their name, Sabrina, you can probably guess what inspired their creation. Worth noting, Crew spelled K-R-E-W, named in honor of the firstborn son of the reigning National League MVP, Bryce Harper. Caught up with Dave yesterday to learn more about the Fandemic Crew. Well, the Fandemic Crew Celts is the group of Phillies fans who got their notoriety during the 2020 season when they would hang out outside of Citizens Bank Park. Nobody was allowed in other than players, personnel, media during the 2020 season. And since fans weren't allowed in, these fans in particular really had a fix for baseball during the 
early months of the pandemic might not be the first summer months of the pandemic had a fix for baseball, wanted to be down at the yard, wanted to watch their Phillies in a shortened 60 game season. So they would stand outside on a Phillies way uh, behind a gate at a, that that is in Ashburn Alley. And they would uh, watch the games essentially from this area. And in 2021, they got their own seats inside the ballpark But in terms of the founders, the co-founders, Oscar Alvarado and Brett Mackman, uh, the reason I highlighted them this week, one, was because opening day is coming up around the corner, and two, uh, because I, I wanted to learn more about Brett and Oscar and their fandom. So that's why they are the fans of the week this week. Our last two seasons being the pandemic crew, the players know our support. I mean, we, when I tell you every game, like me and Brett went to every game last year. Um, and every game we stand out on Darren street where the cars come out, where the players come out and, um, from across the street, we don't bother them. We don't ask for autographs or anything, but we, we stand out there and support, clap it up, tip our cap. They, they know about us. So it's, our support was always there. It's just not televised. You know, you know what I mean? So we're, we're always going to be there through the good times and the bad times, but we want a lot more good times. I'm stating that right now. Like, we want a lot of good times. And it's going to be here in Philadelphia, and we're going to show our support on the road also. Amen to that. A couple other things I wanted to ask you about in the sports world since you're in here. Big, big hoops game tomorrow in New Orleans for people hopping on the bandwagon and just getting familiar with this year's edition of the title-contending Villanova Wildcats, tell us about them. Give us a sense of what the major storylines are going into tomorrow night's game. One is that Villanova is not going to have who Jay Wright called their most valuable player, basically. You know, one of the most versatile players in the country. And that's junior Justin Moore, who had the very unfortunate uh, circumstance in the Elite Eight game against Houston of blowing out his Achilles, his right Achilles, tearing his right Achilles. It should be an exciting weekend of basketball. I hope that it's a competitive game between Nova and Kansas because the loss of Justin Moore cannot be stated enough. It is huge, Brian, huge. I think something we also have to pay respect to, Dave, is, listen, on the Blue Route, it's not just about Villanova being the Blue Bloods. That has become a corridor of elite basketball. I, I like how you you used uh, our our interstates here to, to 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 tie that together. That was very impressive. I was on the the blue route the other day <laughs> heading to Plymouth White Marsh High School because uh, they had a remarkable story come out of that high school. We talk about perfection sometimes, uh, seeking perfection. Well, for all intents and purposes, the Plymouth White Marsh High School girls basketball team, the Colonials, were perfect in 2021-22 because they won the first state title in their program history and they did so with a perfect 34 and 0 record and Amazing. not not only that type of perfection Celts they won 31 of their 34 victories by double digits and i knew that i was going to be able to talk to a decent amount of players and ended up being seven and i knew i was going to talk to the head coach Dan Doherty Doherty called it, Coach Doherty called it, they're going to be remembered as the greatest girls basketball team in the state of Pennsylvania, 34-0. To win the state title is a six-month grind of, you know, three hours a day for six days a week. And the, the determination these kids have 
uh, you know, during that entire time, let me know that, that they could accomplish it. Amazing. Amazing story. You're an Abington man. I went to Cheltenham. Mm-hmm. So great to see a school from the Suburban One League yes. in the Pennsylvania suburbs. We're up in his state title winners. Dave, always great stuff. Thank you so much for stopping by. Love coming on the John Castells. Follow Dave on Twitter at Mr. Uram to stay on top of his weekly Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week series, or you can check the episode description for a link to make a submission of your own or for that diehard Philly sports fan in your life. Brian, I really appreciate that on Fridays. You and Jane, the team, let me kind of go crazy with my love of theater. Today is no exception, and it's maybe the biggest week in terms of Philadelphia theater. It is literally Philadelphia Theater Week. Starts today, runs through April 10th, and we're going to tell you all about that in just a minute. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. And today kicks off Theater Week here in Philadelphia, although it's not just in Philadelphia. This includes the suburbs, even a bit of New Jersey and Delaware, too. So does this mean, Sabrina, that like every waking hour, you're in a theater here, there, everywhere? I mean, I feel like I am all the time anyway, (laughs) but (laughs) Theater Week is a little bit different from every day for me, as much as I'm always talking about theater. It's kind of like Restaurant Week or Beer Week in terms of There are discounts for shows, and there's just a lot going on all at once. 64 theaters and arts organizations are participating with a total of 85 events. So that's a lot to fit into. uh, It's 10 days total. The whole thing is organized by Theater Philadelphia, and I talked with their executive director, Lanish Miller-White. She gave us a bit of a preview of some of the highlights of the upcoming week and kind of answered the big question of just what is Theater Week? Theater Week is a 10-day celebration of theater in our region. And so the basics are, um, this year it's April 1st to the 10th. All of the tickets are either free, $15 or $30. Um, So giving people an opportunity to access ticketing, to, you know, use it as an opportunity to try out a new theater they haven't tried before, or maybe just try theater in general. Um, There's all kinds of events. There are performances, workshops, readings. Um, We have virtual, in-person, interactive things, sound, audio plays, something for everyone. (laughs) So obviously there are tons and tons of shows, different organizations that are participating. What are some of the ones that are most exciting and interesting to you? So Almanac Dance Circus Theater is doing um, a series called Mini Ball, which is kind of a mini festival inside of Theater Week that's based on their larger Fringe Festival event, the Cannonball Festival. Um, And so in in Mini Ball, there is one performance called Surface Tension, and it's kind of like an exploration of a queer friendship, but it's using its acrobatics and juggling and object manipulation and dance family-friendly, very, like, visually appealing. So that's a good one. Uh, Another one out at People's Light, because we are all kind of all over the region. So that one's one of our suburb shows. Um, And they're doing Hold These Truths, which is a one-person show, one person playing 38 different people, which, of course, takes, like, a great amount of skill. Um, And that show is about a young man who is reconciling how much he loves the U.S. Constitution with the um, with the removal and internment of Japanese folks in the 40s, kind of a exploration of being a Japanese American and like what that feels like with, you know, our history. 
Theater Week really uh, brings in unique performances. You know, we've yeah. talked a lot about the Broadway musicals at the Kimmel, which are wonderful, but there are all these little like pockets of other interesting things going on with, with Theater Week. Um, yeah. There's like interactive stuff, this New World Rising. Uh, I think the company is called Linnea Bond. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is the description is it's about fighting climate change. Part immersive performance, part audio play, part walking tour. It's yeah. a single audience member ambulatory adventure. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds awesome. So it's interesting. I think this is, there's another similar experience um, called Community Capital. And then there was, right before the pandemic, Swim Pony did a similar series. And these like new experiences where essentially you are like walking somewhere in Philadelphia and then there are like artists guiding you via audio about the story you're experiencing as you're walking, which is like a really new kind of format. I feel like that like our area is really getting into now. I think it's cool, especially like with COVID times to be able to like experience it in a very like distant way, still being outdoors and the weather is breaking really cool. I love that. I love all the ways that the format of theater has evolved because of the pandemic. And now it's been really hot and cold in terms of reopening, closing again because of Omicron, reopening again. But does Theater Week feel kind of like a moment to you in terms of, okay, we are really back now. It's time to finally celebrate all together. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's a good time. Like, We've seen since the beginning of the year, folks coming back and bringing back shows in person. And I think it's just a really good time where it it feels like, you know, most producers are back or planning to be back soon and coming back with new things. And it feels like a good time to celebrate all of that and, and just see the varying ways that the community is coming back and producing what has changed. It's just, yeah, it's really good. Um, I want to talk a little more about Theater Philadelphia, because I don't know if all of our listeners are familiar with the organization and what you do for the community. Sure. Uh, So Theater Philadelphia is kind of the umbrella marketing support organization for theater um, in the region. So Theater Week is one of our largest programs. And then most people know about the Barrymore Awards, which is generally an award ceremony that takes place each fall. Um, that's been on hiatus because of COVID, but we'll be back to starting adjudication again in July. Um, We also have, throughout COVID, we've had an emergency relief program that gives small grants to theater workers um, who've lost income due to COVID. We have a professional development series that does different um, workshops to help people increase their marketing skills or other areas within theater. Yeah, we're kind of like a hub theater organization. Um, we have our our website, which is our What's On Stage section, which has all of the shows that are coming up all over from theater. We have a job board for theater artists looking for work. We're kind of like a central location for all the theater things around here. <laughs> yeah, great resource for people looking for shows and for theater artists, of course, you know, mm-hmm. looking for stuff to work on. Um, and you are like this renaissance woman of the theater world and working with like a hundred organizations. But I noticed that you're hosting a grant writing seminar with the Black Theater Alliance of Philadelphia on April 4th as part of Theater Week. Talk a bit about that. Um, And particularly, you know, grant writing might sound boring to people, but why is this important for especially the Black theater community? 
So when the Black Theater Alliance, we actually had a grant opportunity for producers a few months ago. Um, And from the applications that we got, I was like, okay, we need some support in grant writing and like how to navigate that world. Because I don't feel like it is necessarily, I don't think it's a hard thing. I think people need to like learn what the game is and so they can play it well and get funds to do their projects. Um, So I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to kind of share what I have learned through trial and error when it comes to grant writing, kind of demystifying the whole process because many small producers and black producers don't feel like, you know, that grants are something that they can that they can get. Um, But especially within like the Philly theater market, like grants are a huge, huge part of pretty much everyone's kind of funding mix. And so I just want to try to like even the playing field a bit when it comes to Black producers having access to those grant dollars. That's great. Super, super useful and important information. So there's the discount tickets, which is fabulous and bringing access to more people. What aside from that would you say is, uh, what can you get out of Theater Week that you might not be able to get at a show at other times of the year? Yeah, I would say a concentrated time to go to theater. I think it's one of the, like, our website is the most full that it ever is, you know, during this time of the year taking the opportunities to try out something new or go somewhere else. And also it's really activating theater all over the city and even like our surrounding suburbs. So kind of our area is 35 miles from city hall. Um, So that's even like a little bit of Jersey and a little bit of Delaware too. So also activating theater in spaces that are outside of center city, having the opportunity to explore and see new things and, and also to see things that, theaters are when they're in their experimental phase like a lot of folks will put in um new works or readings of new works or kind of experimental things into theater week because it kind of has that cushion of being this big celebration so since it also allows an opportunity for theaters to experiment you might see something different even from a theater that you go to to their main stage shows all the time Well, I, of course, am pumped for this week and always glad to be supporting local theater. Thanks to Lanish for coming in and giving us all that information. And you can, of course, find out more at phillytheaterweek.com. We'll put that link in the description as well. Well, April is actually Poetry Month. How cool is that? We're definitely going to sit down with Justin Udo from KYW News Radio at some point and go more into poetry events in and around the city that you can attend and support over the course of the month. But on Fridays, we also do our weekly Udo Haiku. One of the themes of our episodes from earlier in the week was it being Trans Day of Visibility. Yesterday on Thursday, there was a flag raising at City Hall. Justin was there. I talked to him afterwards, and he spoke to me about his inspiration for this week's Udo Haiku. The the trans flag, it's it's a powder pink, a baby blue, and a white. Um, and it represents a number of things. It represents uh, the baby boys, baby girls, and the white with people um, transitioning. So um, that flag went up and, and kind of what I what I saw was kind of very um, poetic about that flag raising where there were people from all over that um, trans spectrum, whether they were younger or older, were young boys, trans boys, trans girls, um, trans men, women, um, so they all kind of joined in unison to to hoist that flag up there that that's blowing in this breeze that we have in Philadelphia now. We spoke with the director of the William Way Trans Resource and Empowerment Center earlier in the week. And one thing that he mentioned that really stood out to me is just as people are going through such 
a substantial transition, something that's physical and emotional and really is something that requires all of yourself, that space is a really important thing. And the way I'm wired, my first instinct is like, if someone's struggling, let's try to lean in and help them. But giving people space to work through what they're working through to find themselves is really helpful in some ways. Very much so. I truly believe that. And I think with you talking about that space, that's just what this flag is showing, that um, the city, that City Hall, that Center City, that Philadelphia is a space for you. It's a, it's, it should be a safe space for you. Here's the Udo haiku for this week. I'll read it twice. Pink, blue, and white flag, proudly waving in the wind, the fight to break free. Pink, blue, and white flag, proudly waving in the wind, the fight to break free. An Udo haiku. Great words to ponder, kind of reflect on as we close out this week. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer, and we will catch you on Monday when we talk to John McDevitt about the one, the only, the resilient and incredible Buddy the Cats. And also all the animals out there that are in need of some extra love and care right now. That's on Monday. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful weekend.